Okay, everyone, we're going to uh, go ahead and get started with the sermon. And Shannon Cole is our reader today. Uh, I'm going to warn you that our passage has a lot of uh, place names in it. So just be, be gracious to Shannon as she reads this. This is out of Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. And then we're also going to be out of Acts 2. So again, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can flip there to the beginning of Acts. And if not, the words will be up on the screen. So take it away, Shannon. All right, Acts 1, 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thanks, Shannon. Pray with me. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we ask that you uh, would shine it on our hearts this morning, Holy Spirit that you'd be speaking to us, that you would move in us, Lord, and that you would uh, draw us deeper into yourself and into the mission that you've called us on. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you couldn't tell, we're in a new sermon series this morning, and it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be coming from the book of Acts. We're gonna be preaching through Acts all fall. And, and I wanna talk just for a second about what Acts is about. Okay, and in Acts, what we have is a history of the early church. It was written by this guy named Luke. 
uh, he kind of got a two, a two book deal out of this. So he wrote uh, the book of Luke and then he also wrote the book of Acts and uh, they, they, they fit together. They're kind of of the same purpose that his, his purpose was, was basically as a historian to write about first the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that's the book of Luke, and then to talk about the history of the early church and that's the book of Acts. So in getting the, the history of the early church, we're getting the, the story of the church. And when we get the story of the church, we are getting our story. That this story that, that we're reading in scripture, the story of the book of Acts, it's your story, it's my story. It tells us where we've come from. And in knowing where, where we've come from, it helps us know where we're going. Like each of us has a story, right? The church has a story. And knowing that story, just like knowing our own story, it helps us know who we are. So in reading this story, what, what we're learning about is who we are as a church. And like all history, this story has a direction. Right? Luke was writing with a purpose. There were certain historical details that he included and there were certain historical details that he left out. He's focusing us in uh, on a particular part of the history of the early church. And what he's focusing on, what he focuses on throughout his narrative and acts is the mission of the church in the world. That what Luke is consistently unfolding is the history of the church as it is on mission in the world. It's the very early stages of this mission. And what that tells us is that this mission is at the core of who we are as a community. There's this author named Christopher Wright, and this is, this is what he has to say about that mission. He says, it is not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. I'm gonna read that for you one more time. It's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. So it's not a mission for the church, it's a church for his mission. That's like the difference between uh, someone who likes to go on long runs and someone who was training for a certain time in a half marathon, right? If you put those, if you put those people together on the same run, uh, it's gonna look a little bit different. One is someone who, uh, they, have, they have things in common, right? Both people like to run. Both people like to be outside, but the way, the intentionality, the purpose with which they approach each run is gonna be different. And I can tell you that because I have lived both sides of that, okay? It creates tension. Or you can think about it, have any of you been to a Nashville SC game? Is anybody awake with me here this morning? Yes, okay. So at the Nashville SC game, there are the fans. Uh, who are, there are the people who are there to see the game, right? And then there's like the fan section of the game. What is that section called? The, support, the supporter, there's like, it is bumping over there, right? And it, the people who have come to sit in that section have come with a very different purpose than the time that I went to the Nashville SC game, right? I am there to enjoy the game. They are there to help Nashville SC win the game based on how they're cheering. And the way that we approach the whole day is different because we're thinking about it differently. They uh, have received a mission for which they are there. I, I am there uh, to participate and if my cheers happen to help, great. Great. 
that God has a, has a mission in the world, a redemptive mission for all of the world that he's bringing heaven and earth back together. That is his mission. And he has brought us together to be a part of that mission with him. And I will tell you, I am convinced that this is a critical time for our community to hear this story and be reminded of this mission. Because this is our mission here in East Nashville. That this community uh, has changed a lot in the last year. There are some of you who have been uh, as a, a part of this church for seven years. And there are some of you who have been a part of this church uh, for two weeks. Yes! We love both of those things and everybody all in between. And what we've got to talk about is what is it that's going to hold us together as a community? Yes, it's the gospel, of course. And, it's, and that gospel cannot be separated from the mission that God has given us out in the world. And so all fall, we're going to be unpacking what does this mission look like? And we get to the core of it in Acts 1.8. So I, I want to just build for us for a minute kind of the, the background of what takes us to this call, right? So we said that Luke is the author of the book of Luke, the book of Acts, and, and they have this scene where they come together, right, kind of at the beginning of Acts 1. And Acts 1, in a lot of ways, those first verses that we did not read this morning, verses 1 through 5, are like the recap at the beginning of a new series or a new season of your favorite show where they give you a flashback and they kind of point to, oh, well, these are all the things that happened right at the end that were really dramatic so that you, you understand where we're going now with this new season. That's what happens in those first few verses of Acts. And then we get to this moment where Jesus is with his disciples right before he ascends to heaven. There are a lot of implications of the ascension. If you want to learn about them, you can go back to when we preached on that part of the Apostles' Creed, okay? But Jesus is about to go to heaven and he's giving the disciples his very last words. These are the last words of Jesus that the disciples are going to hear before he leaves them. This is what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you think that was in any way anticlimactic for them? That what they have said just before this is that they're looking forward to the kingdom of God coming. They ask him, teacher, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're like, wait, okay, now is this the time when you ride into Jerusalem and you, you like set up your kingdom, you kick out all the oppressors, is that now? And we get to reign and rule with you? And Jesus is like, no, not yet, guys. But here's what I do want you to do in the meantime while you wait for me to come back. I want you to, to be my witnesses. I want you to talk about me to people. And then he's gone. Really? Like, that's it? Just be your witnesses? Does that seem underwhelming to anybody else? In commanding his church and calling his church to bear witness, what Jesus is doing is inviting us on the most exciting mission that we could ever be a part of. It may seem anticlimactic, but this is the best thing that Jesus could do for us. Like, do you have any of those stories in your family that you tell over and over and over again that you never get tired of telling? My wife's family has those stories, okay? Uh, and some of them, I mean, there are trips that I feel like I have been on even though I was nowhere near those trips because I've heard about them so many times and I have to be reminded I was not on the trip. 
Sometimes I have to remind them, I was not there. And they're like, oh, right, yeah, okay. We've just talked about it so much. Right, or there's, there's the story of the number of dogs that their family has had. While my wife was growing up, there were nine. It's an amazing story. I love to tell it. It's become my story now, right? There are stories like that in our lives, stories that we are so connected to that we tell over and over again that they, are, they become a part of us and that we love telling them because they are such a part of us. That's the kind of story that we have been invited to tell with our words and with our lives, with the way that we live that we've been invited to be a witness to the story of our resurrected Jesus who is now ruling and reigning in the world, bringing death to life. That's the story that we've been invited, that we've been commanded to witness to. To be a witness at the simplest level is to tell the truth. To tell the truth about what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, to tell the truth about what is true. Not to tell your truth so I can tell my truth, but to say what is true. And in being commanded to be witnesses, uh, do you realize you are receiving the very same call that was on Jesus when he was on earth? That Jesus, when he describes his mission, I'm here to preach good news, Jesus says. Jesus came to declare, to make a declaration that the kingdom of heaven had broken into the world. He declared it with his words and he declared it with his life and he declared it with his death and with his resurrection that Jesus came to bear witness. So when we are receiving the call from him to to bear witness, we are being invited into the mission that Jesus himself had in the world. Peter in Acts 2.32, he gives, so in the, in, the, in the chunk that we were reading, the chunk of Acts 2 that we were reading, right? The Holy Spirit rushes upon the apostles and all the disciples who are there. We'll get to that in a minute. And Peter gets up and he gives the, his first sermon. And in that sermon, he's, he, he's talking about Jesus. He's bearing witness to, he's testifying to who Jesus is. And he says, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses that Peter is highlighting here the core part of Jesus' life that is, that is the most relevant to our witness, and that is Jesus' resurrection. Of his miraculous works, yes. Of his teaching, yes. And most of all, his resurrection. That heaven has in fact broken into our world, that in fact heaven and earth are coming back together, and that has started in us. Because Jesus Christ, God's son, has been resurrected. That that is, the, that is what we have been given to, that's the truth we've been given to witness to. And, and that, that, that call to witness, that mission of the church, is, is, it was given to the original apostles, right? Right before Jesus ascends into heaven. And it's a mission that still continues today. It's a mission that you have been affected by if you're here. But there was somebody, probably a lot of people in your life, who have borne witness to who Jesus is to his death, to his resurrection, to his work in their life. And that as those people have have borne witness to who Jesus is, there is maybe a point where you said, uh, oh, I want that to be true for my life. 
and you stepped into that same story. And that chain has been happening over and over and over again. It's what brought you here. And maybe you're at a place where you haven't said yes to that yet. But the fact that you're here at all and even curious about who Jesus is, is in some way a result of a chain of witnesses that goes all the way back to the apostles who received this command over 2,000 years ago. That God does not have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. And if we miss that, I'll just tell you, we're gonna be very confused. Because you will think that the church is something that it's not supposed to be. Like there will be times, if you were at this church, or if you were at any church, where the church will not be meeting all of the felt needs that you have. And you may think, something is wrong with this church. No, that's just not what the church is for. The church is a place where we've been called together to be on mission together uh, and a part of God's work in the world. It's like uh, if you were to pack a family into a smart car to take a a cross-country trip. A smart car is a great thing. It's just not for cross-country road trips, right? It's the, it's the wrong mission. It's the wrong application. So understanding the church and in what it is and how God has designed it, that, that God has a church for his mission is critical in us understanding how we experience this thing called church together. And you know this word for witness uh, is the same Greek word for martyr. The word martyr comes from the same word. And I think that what that does is it shapes our expectations for what it means to be a witness. That being a witness uh, to the resurrection of Jesus means dying to self. Of course it does. Because it's in dying to ourselves that we experience resurrection in the first place. And in calling us into this mission, Jesus is doing the kindest thing he could ever do for us. Because the world that we are in is constantly telling us that the mission that we are about in the world is the mission of ourselves. Right, it's constantly telling us, pursue your dreams. You can be whatever you wanna be. Right, I got a trophy for that when I was played AYSO soccer. Here you are, you did it. I'm terrible at this, right? No, you can be whatever you want. That, that's, that's the world that we have all grown up in. And what Jesus is saying is, no, this is not about you going out and finding yourself. This story is so much bigger than you, and it's about the fact that you have been found by God. That's what this story is about. And that you will find yourself, I will find myself as we find ourselves being found but as we put our lives under and into this bigger story, as we fit it into that story of God's mission in the world, that's when we become who God created us to be. That's the kindest thing God can ever do for us is to rescue us from ourselves and call us into this adventure, this grand adventure that stretches across space and time. And this is not not the kind of adventure that is only available to the rich and the privileged. This is not the kind of adventure that involves you climbing Mount Everest to find yourself. If you wanna do that, I am so interested in it and would love to read the book afterwards, I promise you, okay? But what I want you to know is that after you climb Mount Everest, you're still gonna be you. 
That is not the kind of adventure we're called to here. The kind of adventure that we're being called to is an adventure, again, that is so much bigger than us. It's the kindest thing God can do for us is to call us out of that kind of privileged self-seeking that looks to find itself in experiences and to say, no, you have been found because God has come to you. And that adventure scoops up even the most mundane parts of our lives. It dignifies them. It says those parts of your life matter. Because that, that desire to matter, that, the desire that what we would do would matter is a part of, of who we are. To live in that kind of adventure. There's this song by Angels and Airwaves, which uh, is kind of an emo band, as we've discussed before. Love it, okay? Uh, It just captures the emotion of what it means to want to be on adventure, right? The song is called The Adventure. On the way home, you can listen to it. I want to have the same last dream again, the one where I wake up and I'm alive. Just as the four walls close me within, my eyes are opened up with pure sunlight. I'm the first to know, my dearest friends, even if your hope has burned with time, anything that's dead shall be regrown. Here I am, here we go, life's waiting to begin. That's the adventure that we've been called on. And if you are uh, bored by the idea of adventure, if you are worn out and too tired for it, it may be because the adventure that you've been a part of is the adventure of self. I want to remind you again, we're being called to a different kind of adventure, a dying to self, a finding of our story in this bigger story of God. And this is going to take, this mission is going to take all of your ingenuity all of your creativity, all of the skills and gifts that God has specifically given you, those are all relevant for this mission that he's called you on, all of them. And even with all of those things, uh, you are not enough for this mission on your own. I am not enough for this mission on my own. You could talk about, man, what, what... Who wouldn't love to see what happened after Peter preached this sermon in Acts? 3,000 people become Christians with one sermon? Like, sign me up for that kind of experience, right? Yeah, that didn't happen on his own. Think about what Jesus says in in Acts 1.8. The first thing he says is, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Yeah, this mission that you've been invited into, you don't have what you need to do it on your own. I don't have what I need to do it on my own, but we are not left to do it on our own. That we've been given the Holy Spirit of God and one of his primary roles in our lives is to empower us for mission. That's one of the main things the Holy Spirit does is he emboldens us for mission. That's what's happening in Acts 2. That's why I included this section in what we were preaching on is for the illustration that it gives us of what it looks like, what it can look like, what it has looked like in the past when the Holy Spirit moves in power. 
Right? So the disciples are all gathered together. They're, they're waiting for this promise of God. And all of a sudden, there's this big wind. These tongues of ty- fire appear on their heads. Like, what is going on here? All of this points us to God's presence with the disciples. That's what all of those signs are about. They all pull on all of these Old Testament stories that say this is what happens when God is present. And God shows up. He's present. And then... All the disciples, and we're not just talking about the 12 disciples. There are probably about 120 people who were following Jesus at this time. And it seems like, it sounds like all of those people started speaking. Except they started speaking in languages they didn't know. But that the people who all had gathered together because of the noise of what was going on, all of those people knew the languages. They weren't babbling. They were speaking. They were telling about God in a different language. All the different languages of, the, of those, that incredible list of places that Shannon read so well, right? That they were speaking in the languages of all of those people. And it's easy to read this and think, well, then I guess I've never seen the Holy Spirit move because that's never happened to me. Maybe it has happened to you. I don't know. It's never happened to me. But that would be missing the point. Because the Holy Spirit is moving here for a very specific reason. He gives, he, he empowers these 120 people for a very specific reason, which is to boldly declare the mighty works of God. He's not zapping them with power to do whatever they want. He's empowering them for the mission of bearing witness to the people around them. And the people who are around them happen to be people who speak a lot of different languages. So again, it connects to this, this whole thread of being empowered specifically for mission. And I love this. They're declaring the mighty works of God. They're declaring Jesus' resurrection and they're declaring all of the things they have seen Jesus do. Does that sound like an adventure? Okay, I'm gonna ask that one more time. We'll make it not rhetorical. Does that sound like an adventure to you? Yeah, that is what we're called to be a part of, guys. Is that kind of Holy Spirit work in the world? You know what? It may not look like what you think it might look like. He loves to surprise us. But this is is the adventure that we are being called into. It's the same mission. It's the same power that we are living in. It's the same Holy Spirit that is enabling you and I to bear witness to the resurrected Jesus. We can talk about wanting to experience the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we can imagine that looking like a lot of different things. I want to tell you one of the key places, if you want to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you get out and you start declaring the mighty works of God and speak in the name of Jesus, you will experience him. You're not responsible for the results, by the way. That's not on you. That's the Holy Spirit. But the takeaway from Peter's sermon is not, wow, I just, Peter, what an amazing speaker. No, that's the Holy Spirit at work, right? You are not responsible for the results. He is responsible for those things. But as we, as we step out in this adventure of declaring who God is, that's where the Holy Spirit delights to show up and, in fact, do work in us. But is it possible that one of the reasons that we, let's be real, you guys have all heard this sermon before. Right? There's nothing new here. If you've been around the church for a while, you've heard a sermon that has talked about the importance of bearing witness to Jesus. 
And it's still so hard for us, isn't it? We struggle with that. And I've wondered this week, why is that? I'm sure there are a lot of reasons. One of the core reasons could be, I believe is, that we ourselves have lost sight of the amazing works of God in our own lives. The mighty works of God that he's done for us. And so the, part of the invitation of this passage is that we, would, that we would remember what God has done on our behalf. That's why so many of the Psalms all sing about Israel's history and God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. Because God knew his people needed to be reminded, I've come for you, I've come for you, I've come for you, I've redeemed you, I've redeemed you, I've redeemed you, I've saved you, I've saved you, I've saved you. They have to sing it to themselves because it's so easy to forget that that's true. Part of the call here is for us to remember who God is and what he's done for us. What Jesus did for us back on the cross and what we have seen him do in our day-to-day lives. Have you seen God work in your life ever? But do you ever forget that? Oh, and the call here is to remember those things, that we would be his witnesses, is not just that we would remember what he did 2,000 years ago and bear witness to that, yes to that. And also what Jesus is telling us is you will be witnesses to things I will do even now because he's always at work. And here's the thing that blows my mind is that what we want to do so often is separate uh, the experiencing the wonder and declaring the wonder. Like first I have to like get enough of the remembering in before I can declare it. We want to separate those two things and make it like an if-then statement. And what this, is, what this passage it challenges that idea and that in our speaking and in our declaring, that is one of the things that helps us remember. If you want to remember what Jesus has done for you, tell somebody else about it. It's one of the gifts God has given us to remind us that as we, de- as we declare, as we witness, that it actually encourages our own hearts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That we, when we remember how he has changed us, it reminds us how much we still need to grow and it opens up our hearts to remember oh, how gentle, how kind, how good it was to let the Holy Spirit change us. Change us. Yes. the bridge of the angel and airwave song I was talking about earlier. I cannot live, I can't breathe unless you do this with me. I cannot live, I can't breathe unless you do this with me. But that is true of every great adventure. If it is something that is worth doing, it's something you can't do alone. But we haven't been left to do it alone. We've been given the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to bear witness boldly to the power of Jesus, to his resurrection, to the fact that the kingdom of heaven has broken into the kingdom of this world. That's the mission that we're about as a church. And do not be fooled by this building, okay? 
Because this building could fool you. It might make you think that once we pack out this building at 150 people, that's it. And then we're like, hey, mission accomplished. Now let's like all turn inside and just like make this place as comfortable as we can for ourselves. Don't be fooled, okay? That's not what this is about. That if God were to bring one-tenth of what happened on Pentecost to, to here, to East Nashville, to this community, uh, we would, spoiler alert, we would have to be in more than one service, right? We don't have room for that here. We would even go back to Stratford if we needed to, which is where we used to meet. You may not know that, okay? It's a big auditorium. It's 450 people. It's cavernous. If that is where God called us to move, we would do that because what we're about is the mission of God, not about a space. Don't be fooled by the fact that we painted downstairs or that we're trying to change the floors. I think it's going to happen, okay? Don't be fooled by that because that might make you think that the point is to get really comfortable here. We would leave it tomorrow if that's what God called us to do. If God brought 3,000 people here and we couldn't fit them here, we would go somewhere else because we are not attached to this building, that what we are about is the mission of God that he has for us here, right in our lives. You realize, these people who heard God's word spoken in their own language, it, it blew their minds. And those people went back into their communities and they declared the mighty works of God, which means God has, he has done work in your life because he's gonna send you back to the place that you came from. Like the place that you left to get here is the place that you're going back to. That's your home. That's your work. That's your family. Those are the places God is sending us out to. And okay, this, is, this, is, this is the last thing I'm going to say this morning, probably. One of the reasons I think that this is so, it's challenging for us to, de- to declare the mighty works of God in our lives, to bear witness, is that we have made promises to ourselves about all the things that we won't do. Right? Like, I will not be uncomfortable. I will not do it. Especially when it comes to talking about Jesus. I won't. What we will say is, I, don't, I won't make other people feel uncomfortable, but often what we're saying is, I won't make myself uncomfortable. And we've promised ourselves that. And so we say, well, if it's going to make me uncomfortable, I won't do it. If it's going to make you uncomfortable, I won't do it. Say, I, I don't, I don't want to offend somebody. And we can get so in our minds about all the things that we could say that could be construed as offensive, we don't say anything. I will not not know the answer. Have you ever said that? I don't want to be in a situation where I might get asked a question and not know the answer. I won't be in that situation, so I won't say anything that could get me, that can make someone ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I won't look silly or be associated with people that other people might think are silly. When the Holy Spirit came, people looked at the people who were speaking in tongues and thought, they must be drunk. They look silly, right? That happens. That's a part of it. I will preach the gospel and use words when necessary. I think sometimes what we mean when we say that is, I will sometimes preach the gospel, but I will never use words. Gotta have words at some point. And we tie ourselves up with, into knots with all of our knots, right? All of the things that we say we will not do tie us up. We get chained up. And so we get frozen. We don't say anything. And what I'm asking you this morning is, uh, would you make a different decision? I don't have a program I'm introducing today, okay? 
I may have some specific challenges that come later this fall. I don't know yet. I haven't gotten there. But what I am, what I am going to challenge you with, and I think what this passage challenges us with, what God is challenging us with, is w- would you put down all of the things that you will not do? And instead, will you say yes to bearing witness about Jesus? To being an empowered witness? And then leave the rest up to him. And I tell you what, if we as a community do that together, I am excited to hear all of the stories that come out of that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Oh, Lord, we declare even now that you are a God who has done uh, mighty works in, in our lives. Lord, that you have come, that you've, you've died for us. Lord, and that you uh, have brought, through, through your death, through your resurrection, Lord, you have brought life into the dead things in our hearts and lives. Lord, as we worship this morning, would you remind us of that? Would you remind us of how wonderful your mighty works have been in our lives? Lord, would you, as we worship, uh, fill this room with a declaration of that as we, as we declare it and sing it over each other? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.